This is a peek into the crypto commerce and Web3 tech tree at Fawcett's Vision Weekend 2021. As I mentioned in our previous podcast, we have now settled on dates for the 2022 Vision Weekend. Those are our annual member gatherings where we basically unite all of the top projects that we had throughout the year to see what progress they made throughout the year. So in this session, Zaki Manian from Cosmos, Kate Sills, who was then at Agoric and a Fawcett Fellow, Josiah Brox from SwiftChain, who was also a Fawcett Fellow, and Christine Weber from Spritely, and Josh Tan from Metagraph, also both Fawcett Fellows, discuss the state and future of crypto commerce and Web3. Again, I welcome you to check out the YouTube video if you want to peek at their slides. They've all built beautiful technology trees. It would be a shame if you missed them. Currently, we're expanding these tech trees to map the entire space of crypto and Web3, including human and AI cooperation. Okay, everyone. First of all, I want to remind you that by now we have already made it such that you can find many of the technology trees already somewhat filled in with the individual tech nodes that the speakers are working on. So if you want to grab, um, fill out your node and add it already to the technology tree of your choice, we have space, newer tech, we have biotech, um, computing and molecular machines over there. And so that at the end of the day, we can do uh, a happy merry-go-round. Uh, with all of them. But for now, I'm very, very, very happy uh, to be uh, welcoming my next panel here. And uh, today we'll be talking in this panel about um, the intelligent cooperation uh, topic of decentralized uh, computing. And so thank you all so, so much for joining. We have, oh, wow, we have four Foresight Fellow on the same stage. Amazing. Wow. Okay. I'm very, very happy to have you guys here. Um, okay. So let's see, we have Kate filling in the first slide. So why don't we just start out with you explaining us a little bit what it is that you're working on, where do you see it going on the very, very long run, and then we'll see if we find a few connections across you guys. Okay, Kate, bring it on. All right. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Kate Souls. I'm a software engineer working in the area of uh, smart contracts and blockchains. And what I'm particularly interested in in right now is uh, credible commitments. Um, and, and what I mean by a credible commitment is um, how do we allow people to rely on the promises that we make and the assertions that we make? And so this goes all the way back to Thomas Schelling, the economist. Um, he talked about credible commitments. So an example might be, you know, you're a general trying to get your army to fight. Um, and something that you can do as a credible commitment is uh, burn the bridge behind you so that you can't retreat. And your army is definitely going to fight, um, right? So, so that's very credible, and it's also very much a commitment. Um, so that's just one of the mechanisms that you might use. You might also use, of course, legal contracts. You might use smart contracts. Uh, you might use community reputation. You know, there, there are many mechanisms that you might use to make a credible commitment. Um, but I think what the most interesting thing is, is that um, in the past, I don't know, 20, 30 years or so, we have all of this new technology, public key cryptography, uh, we have smart contracts um, that allow us to make credible commitments and they allow us to do so uh, relatively cheaply, right? You know, um, access to the legal system is very expensive. A lot of people don't have access to justice. Um, so what I am very interested in is uh, using credible commitments to um, be able to create new institutions, to be able to fund public goods, and ultimately to be able to cooperate with people, um, 
you know, um, across state boundaries, across uh, country borders, things like that. Um, so I, I think we need to look at the toolkit that we have. So public key uh, cryptography, blockchains, the legal system, reputation, all of those things. And uh, uh, try to look at the problems that we have as a society and see how we can solve those things. And it, it might not need a blockchain in some cases. So I'll give a, a quick example of that. Um, so there's on Ethereum, there's the uh, proof of attendance protocol. So I think this is a great organization. It seems like a very, um, you know, uh, worthwhile thing to do. But what it's basically doing is saying that um, I have attended an event. An event organizer is minting an NFT, gives it to me to say that I have attended that event. Well, we can actually do that without a blockchain, with just cryptography, right? I, I sign a statement and the event organizer signs on top of that saying that I attended. So, so there might be things that we can do, we can do even more cheaply than through a blockchain, just using cryptography. So that's what I'm interested in is using the whole toolkit that we have. And if you guys want to dive deeper into her work, then I um, recommend she gave a fantastic, um, fantastic foresight presentation uh, as a fellow in the intelligent cooperation group. Uh, which I think got much to around on Twitter afterwards. So thanks a lot for that one. And um, yeah, it, it was a really good one. That one was particularly on NFTs for uh, reimagining property rights. But I think the, it fits really nicely in with the uh, credi credible commitments topic as well. Uh, lovely. Another one, also the Intelligent Corporation intro video with Mark. I think you explain credible commitments really nicely with the bridge Uh, uh, over many of the collective action problems that we're work, uh, worried about. So if you're interested in that, I encourage you to check out actually our Intelligent Corporation seminar summaries. Uh, we have all of the seminar summaries of that entire year there. Okay, next one up, we have another Foresight Fellow who recently presented and uh, also gained lots of traction through the presentation, including someone, um, Glenn Whale, sending me an email afterwards saying like, this is the best presentation I've seen this entire year in the group. So Christine, well, um, that is, I think, very high praise. So Christine, tell us a little bit what you are working on at the moment uh, and what, how it is that other people can help. Hi. Uh, so I am, I, I'm Christine Lemmer-Rubber and I work on decentralized networking technology, but especially decentralized social networks. Um, so uh I think that the current state of social networks is incredibly bad and uh, um, not supportive of people and communities and so on. And I'm guessing, actually, whether or not you've thought about it, everyone else here probably feels that, too. Um, I want to see how many people the following statement resonates with. Um, being on modern social network sites today feels kind of like the worst part of Thanksgiving dinner every day of the year. So raise your hand if this kind of resonates with you. That's a, a substantially large amount of the audience, and that's a, kind of a disturbing state to be in, I think. Uh, and I don't think that the current systems that we have uh, support kind of the um, the idea of the many different roles we have in our lives. And everyone these days, I think, is very frustrated with gatekeepers. So I've been working on decentralized social networks for about a deca decade, and when I started, it didn't seem like that many people were that worried about it, um, except for, you know, our uh, hyper-technology nerds. Um, but that's definitely changed now, right? Um, we're now at the point where, um, in early days, so, um, when, when large decentralized social networks really started to ramp up and many people were very worried about the effects that they might cause, um, I don't think we really saw them quite as quickly as we have today, 
um, where we have what's called context collapse, which really removes your ability to be yourself in the different circumstances of your life. Um, what's happened since then is uh, enough people are upset that we even see, you know, centralization kind of interpreted as a pathogen, right? Um, so the recent interest by governments in terms of uh, uh, centralized organizations being gatekeepers on our information can be kind of perceived as an immune response by the body as in terms of uh, the way the way that things have gone badly. So um, I think it's highly fixable, though, um, but that's a pretty bold claim. So uh, can I back that up? Well, um, I, I feel like I can. So first of all, uh, I'm co-author of the most popular decentralized social networking protocol uh, currently on the web, which is ActivityPub. Right. Um, so, you know, that's used by Mastodon and so on. Uh, and actually, when we finished standardizing that at the World Wide Web Consortium about three years ago, um, you know, I actually felt like we're not really done. I feel like there's all these things that we can't do in terms of privacy, security, rich interactions and cooperation between people. Um, and I went searching through history to find out, well, where had those problems been solved before? And uh, I found that um, actually they had been solved. So before the centralized social approaches ended up taking off, uh, there were people who worked at um, these wacky organizations like this one called Electric Communities, which I know there's a number of people in the audience who worked at. Uh, um, yep. And uh, uh, one of the uh, and and they were really pushing for this vision that everything would be peer to peer, that you'd really control things, that you'd be have commerce integrated. And they actually built lots of the solutions so when I started searching, I ha I was suddenly raving to people about these papers that I found that were 25 years old. And people were saying, well, if those papers are so good, if these approaches are so good, why, isn't, why aren't all the big players using them? And the reason is they don't have the incentives to use them, right? Um, the, it turned out that the easiest way to be able to build and deploy these systems was a centralized approach. You could get the kind of approach that people were talking about and interesting in into the hands of users relatively quickly. But, you know, over about, you know, 15 years, people start to experience all the really bad things that happen when you end up taking that approach, right? And now we're in kind of a crisis moment. Um, so those approaches that have been researched for a long time ago in the object capability security community um, ended up becoming very relevant. And I'm very lucky to have met people like uh, um, Mark Miller and Chip Morningstar and Randy Farmer, uh, and, and even Zuko, who uh, um, we're, have all been involved in the object capability security community, um, and were willing to take the time to talk with me about these things. And in fact, when um, I joined Foresight this year as a fellow, um, Allison asked me, well, what do you want to do this year, Christine? And I said, um, well, I've been doing this research project for about three years, getting all the pieces together, and I'd really like to actually turn this into an organization. So by the end of the year, I'd like to turn this into an organization. And during the course of that, Actually, Randy Farmer and I, uh, Randy Farmer and I started talking a lot more. And Randy, along with Chip, co-ran Electric Communities back in the day, and was very interested that I, his face kept showing up in my presentations. So we started talking more, uh, and uh, we are now uh, ran just a couple days ago. Randy filed the incorporation paperwork. So Sprightly, the Sprightly Institute is going to be a legal entity, and uh, we're going to make this happen. So, um, thank you. Leave us with a challenge you want to see solved yeah. so we can move over to Jazeera. Right. So um, the challenge is we have, um, we're, we're, right now we need to get 
interested partners to launch this off the ground. We have a technical partner with Agoric. We're very excited to work with them on the technology side. And the Filecoin Foundation for the Decentralized Web has come in as a um, fiscal sponsor. But we need more people who are willing to help us bring this off the ground because it this it's a, this is a making new layers for the internet, which means it's a common situation, and that's often very tragic. So we want to undo the tragedy of that and actually get, we want to actually make stuff that can be usable for everyone. So if this feels like it appeals to you, um, please come speak to us and uh, let's make it happen. And uh, Christine, you will be at the decentralized computing node over there doing the breakouts. Okay? That's right. Great. Lovely. Next on up, Jazeer, another Foresight Fellow. What have you been up to? What is a long-term goal you're wanting to solve? And um, how could other people help? What are some capabilities you want to unlock? What are some enabling technologies you may need? Cool. <clears throat> Hi, everybody. I'm Jazeer. Um, and I often think about uh, cryptocurrencies and AI. Um, I believe that cryptocurrencies allow for people to exchange value um, in a way that's private and guaranteed-ish to happen, um, but that we haven't taken as much advantage as I'd like for what that means for spend. Um, there are a lot of people who are becoming crypto-rich by uh, participating in DeFi, and they don't necessarily have guidance on what to do with that money in a way that um, a well-funded research program, even if it's very minor for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, could bring them. Um, and so I've, I've actually piggybacked on um, the, this concept of decentralized autonomous marketplaces. I believe actually um, an Andreessen uh, partner uh, originally coined the phrase, but What it means is uh, a decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO, um, that's really focused on the needs of the, the members of that group um, as they exist in a marketplace, which is very different from what I think DAOs are now and communities are now. In, in both cases, uh, there's actually a deeper focus on... Um, hey, Ellison? Oh... Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Um, so hopefully I can remember, uh, I was on my tech tree. I think I, I got it though. Um, but yeah, this, there's, oh, I have so much stuff on there. Um, okay. Okay. So the point is, um, that I, I, I believe that I, you know, a decentralized autonomous marketplace is, is something where, uh, people express their needs for what, what it is they want to buy, uh, beyond, um, Uh, or what they want to do uh, in, in the way that they they buy or sell things. And uh, I believe that a lot of people's desires and expressions are actually just placed in the market. If the market collectively can be intelligent in doing resource allocation, then people at the scale of hundreds or thousands or even beyond that can um, do the kind of purchasing, uh, buying, selling, and so on uh, that is usually reserved for companies uh, or large groups um, and have the corresponding social impact uh, and the like, but do it in a way that... Um, may be more intelligent than they would have come up with for themselves, because often a smaller group of people than the entire market is dealing with a decision-making process for those kinds of things. Um, what we end up with is autonomous funding of critical problems. This whole skill tree concept, I think, is going to do um, wonders for this concept, the idea that you can just look at what everyone else is planning in their lives and fund the things that are most relevant to you so you can collaborate more efficiently. 
um, hyper-personalization of goodwill. If you want to just take care of your friends or your family or your company or so on, or the society at large, um, you can do it in a way that's very, very focused on your beliefs or on the beliefs of the recipient um, and avoid a lot of this uh, you know, regression to the mean that I think a lot of charity or just general goodwill uh, can, can fall under. And I think that goodwill is such a tremendous thing to fund um, that it, uh, sorry, such a tremendous source of funding um, that we'd actually see a lot of value from that. And then um, financialization of advanced self-development. So for all of us here who are trying to lose weight or uh, become smarter or whatever, like financializing those things would give a really strong incentive for it, but in a way that's like actually relevant, kind of like what gamification sort of promised to be maybe in the Web 2.0 phase, but I, I think is not even really scratch the surface around Web 3. And then at the end, we end up with rational, optimized portfolio allocations. So you're holding things that are actually like beneficial for you um, in not just the mimetic sense or even like the financial growth sense, but also in growth other way, in other ways. And then we get rational optimized market outcomes. So the things that the collectively we all want to get done are actually done. That's my work. Easy. Okay. And you don't really have one indifferentiated challenge. It's just all happening. It's good. <laughs> okay. Lovely. Josh, what are you working on and how may other people help? What do you see as the long-term goals there? Um, very happy to have you on as a 1022 fellow. Very excited about it. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Hi, folks. I'm Josh. Uh, I feel like I don't really have much to talk about because all the previous speakers um, were so excellent on the different aspects of what I guess I do at Medigov. Uh, Kay was talking about credible commitments. Uh, Christine was talking about the sort of technical layer uh, that we, I guess, we're all trying to build as a common good. And Jazeera was so much better at me explaining like the importance of financialization and financial sort of processes in the governance of online communities, especially communities uh, like DAOs, which are named up there uh, in the Web3 slash blockchain space. So a bit about me. I'm Josh, um, computer scientist and mathematician at Stanford and Oxford. Uh, I also run an organization called Medigov, uh, and I lead leading a process to define a new ERC standard for DAOs, actually, uh, in collaboration with a lot of industry groups in the ecosystem. So uh, DAOs, uh, they're kind of like a big hype thing at the moment. Um, people don't, like you put 10 experts in a room um, and they will have 10 opinions about what a DAO actually is. So rather than me trying to put a definition on it or a nice little label, um, maybe just the one takeaway that I want you all to leave um, this panel, I suppose, or my little part of it with is DAOs are the nexus of governance innovation today. They are where things... So many new experiments and innovations uh, are happening. Uh, and that's for a lot of different reasons, both because of the kind of magical um, intersection of both technologists and people who really, really care about community and good governance, uh, but also because of the, I think, the economic uh, underpinnings of crypto. When you actually have, you know, 10000 or $100 million in the bank, you just make different kinds of decisions and decisions have a very different weight um, that create need, uh, a different need for governance that we've seen so far on the internet. And it's a really spectacular uh, and amazing, I think, time to be involved in this space. And I really encourage all of you to start a DAO, you know, why not? Uh, yeah. In terms of a challenge, uh, so yeah, standardization across DAO frameworks. I would say actually a lot of like DAO tooling, I mean, this, we don't need to go all the way down the rabbit hole, but... um. A lot of the MVP tooling has already been developed for DAOs. 
um, things like voting, uh, prediction markets in some of them. Uh, but I think the one key challenge is to articulate a kind of the right design philosophy or the right design language for how we put together these, let's say, socio-technical constructs. Um, it's a fancy piece of jargon, but it's just saying that, you know, think about co companies run. Uh, companies are almost like a little bit like robots uh, with circuits and sort of this logic. And, you know, if we would talk, talk about like sort of um, like business logic in these companies, uh, DAOs, uh, and this is one of the best analogies I've seen so far, is that they're almost like, you know, how we design, like how a cell operates, right? It's much more statistical. There's like operations that are flowing this gradients uh, involved where people are flowing cells are flowing this way ribosomes moving together with enzymes to produce some sort of protein at the end and you can't predict what's going to happen unless uh well you have like a ton of observations so this kind of more organic design philosophy over how we build and design and think about these new kinds of online communities i think that's a really spectacular um well, I mean, it's a really hard challenge. I think the community is going to have to face in the next year or so. Great. Okay. A large challenge for the community. And last, but definitely not least, Zaki. I think, Zaki, you joined at the last maybe in-person gathering that we had, um, which was two years ago and gave a fantastic talk on Cosmos and a few of the projects you guys are working on for building more of a multi um, multiplicity of blockchains. And I think You have now moved on to work on really fantastic um, and very relatable, I think, long-term projects that really have the eye in mind that like, what we ultimately need is more than just perhaps one uh, blockchain. Um, so tell us a little bit more about what you're working on uh, and how it relates to the long-term future. Yeah, so my name is Zaki. Uh, so like in 2019, when I was talking here, it was still sort of a idea that there would be many intercommunicating blockchains. Um, over the last two years, that's become a reality. Um, and so that's been very gratifying, uh, to be like, so I guess, but it is interesting to like, come back to like, what is the fundamental reason why there should be many blockchains? Um, blockchains are like shared community computers. So you think of this as analogous to the personal computing revolution. Before we had blockchains, we had personal, we had we, like, so before you had, uh, uh, computers that were owned by large corporations, um, and then, and people could use them. And then you had personal computing where people got sovereign control over their own computers. Um, so now we have community computers and community computers, um, are settlement infrastructure. Um, they allow people to have sort of do economically meaningful transactions among their community members, uh, and get them to be like finalized and effectuated, um, uh, in a way that was previously only accessible by like interacting with a large corporation that has an IBM mainframe that like will settle your stock trades or your bank transfers or that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's basically what I build is like community based, uh, ground up settlement infrastructure and then the systems to interoperate between, uh, settlement systems. Um, and so it's really cool that people are doing this now. Um, and that makes me very excited. Um, but I am, there's a lot of work to be done on how these systems compose together. Um, we have like the hello world or the email app, which is like wrapped tokens, uh, moving between blockchains. Um, but we don't really have any more sophisticated application protocols, um, yet. Uh, and that is primarily what I am working on across a variety of different like organizations and structures and DAOs and everything, uh, is 
how do you get application protocols that compose between multiple blockchains and do interesting behavior um, rather than just uh, thinking about rather than like the email app of, uh, of you know, wrapping a token and trade and like moving it from one blockchain to another. Wow, fantastic. Do you have a challenge that you want anyone to solve or are you just like, nope, things are moving along. This is happening. Well, I mean, things are like this is happening. Like it, it you know, I started working on this five years ago and it didn't seem like it was happening. And a lot of people thought it wouldn't happen. But now it is happening and it is uh, it is good. Um, probably not enough people are people are still trying to figure out blockchain development. Um, and I really think the frontier is like multi-chain development. Um, which is a hard problem um, and probably could require more people using it. Okay, so more people on the challenge. Uh, anyone on the panel want to react to each other? Uh, nodding, disagreeing, yeah. And anyone here has a question, comment? Uh, yeah, we have Mark. Uh, for Jazeer, uh, I was surprised by the uh, box that said uh, financialized advanced self-development. I don't really... Not sure I'm imagining what what that means. Uh, so could you expand on that? What does it mean to financialize self-development? Um, so I have a lot of somewhat advanced plans for this. Um, my day job is focused on uh, a specific chain in the Cosmos network and getting basic trading and things like that pushed forward. So I haven't shared as much of it, uh, but I'll try to paint a picture for you and hopefully it, it makes sense. Um, there's a lot in traditional microeconomics, like game theory, decision theory, that kind of thing, um, that focuses on what a rational agent wants, um, which is some form of like utility optimization. And there are all these things that they would do if they were actually able to get utility that they wouldn't otherwise. Um, the, the mapping between, uh, those kinds of systems and the financial markets are that people don't get utility, they get money. And money has different utility for people at different points in time. But theoretically, if you could get people to do something for any incentive, money is the best one. And there are so many games or situations that game theorists like microeconomists actually have solutions for or could easily derive solutions for that we don't get to see because um, we can't really do financial transactions um at that level. So uh, the existence of a liquidity pool as a primitive is one, but there are countless others. Actually, one that I want to shout out is uh, Kate's, um, this this idea, she didn't exactly explain it here, but this idea of uh, self-binding commitment. Basically, I say I'm going to do something, um, and if I do it, then I get money, and it may be my own money, but at least there's some kind of financialization for it. That has worked. There's a company called Stacks that does this, um, that has, they're worth tens of millions of dollars and not on the chain. Um, I do think that if you have that plus public awareness of what you've done, maybe proof of location, proof of activity, uh, you know, um, the reputation that other people are putting behind the act that they witnessed you do it and so on. If you start doing things like that, now all of a sudden I can say, I will wake up earlier than I have before. And if I do, I'll win $10,000, right? Now all of a sudden your behavior start to change. And so I think when it comes to um, self-development, what I've seen and, and probably a lot of other people have seen is like, there are just some things that I can't get myself to do unless there's some kind of elaborate thing. A lot of it involves social pressure. Maybe it involves taking on a risk that I don't really want to take or whatever. 
if you really just make it so you can earn 10, 100, 1,000, 100,000, whatever it is, dollars for doing something really novel, then all of a sudden you start to do it. People are incentivized to help you do it. And so at the end of the day, um, all these systems that game theorists have come up with uh, to get you to do things, I think, become applicable. And then we see radical behavior change. I hope that made sense. Has a thumbs up. Okay, um, Christine, uh, do you want to make a quick final point and then? Oh, um, okay. So I, I was going to respond to the multi-chain thing, actually, and yeah. uh, um, and say that I think this is actually at the heart of. I think it's actually largely solved um, in terms of the chart, the technical architecture of it. Um, in um, but this is actually at the heart of where I think a lot of attention is missing in decentralized technology right now. A lot of decentralized technology is focused on what we call, uh, we don't have good terms for this yet, we're kind of workshopping them, but de convergent decentralization, right? A blockchain, it's a world of people all running one machine, abstractly. They're all agreeing on one machine. There's different ways of doing things, like email, you're not, you're sending email to a, another person, you don't actually maybe even know what that thing's like running over there, right? Um, ActivityPub works this way also, right? And this is a different kind of decentralization where things are separate from you. You might not even know how they work. They're they're operating autonomously and independently. Um, and it turns out Agoric figured out the right abstraction of how to generalize these two worlds. Because um, they, the, the OCAP community already had the idea of how to do the distributed opaque encapsulated actors with interesting behavior that collaborate together. But then the brilliant solution is you just treat an, uh, a blockchain as one abstracted machine on the network talking to other abstracted machines. So I, I actually think we, we have the right solution. The, um, and, and I'm really optimistic about it. And I think that in order to really solve a lot of the problems, we need to actually start looking at where both of those things solve the different uh, parts of the problems that we need to fix. Any comments on that, Zaki? Yes, no? Yeah, I know. We just implemented CapTP. <laughs> Woo! Okay, great. I'm, I'm liking that we're ending here on a high note. Um, okay, well, so I do want to say all of the technology nodes of people here on the panel have already been added to the crypto commerce and AI tree over there. Um, and I want to let you know that in case any of this piqued your interest, then just as a reminder, all of our individual technology groups are on the website and you can open up each individual seminar summary, for example, here, and you will get redirected to all of the different seminar summaries for each of the different discussions that we had throughout the entire year. So whenever in any of this piqued your interest, we usually had a seminar on this in that group. Did this conversation pique your interest? Maybe it even inspired a bit of existential hope about the future in you. Search for Fawcett Institute on YouTube or Twitter to stay up to date. Or visit Fawcett.org to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and join our efforts. We are entirely funded by your donations. So please support us if you like what we do. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>